ensemble. There you find, there you find, there you find, there you find a new way of being. There you find a new way of being, a new way of seeing things, a new way of being, a new way of seeing things. I hereby declare, I hereby, I, I, brotherhood, I hereby declare a few things. What you declare? I, I, I hereby, <clears throat> and I say this with much due respect, but we hereby declare. that <laughs> we are a new order of beings. <laughs> the Astro Nation of the United Worlds of Outer Space. <laughs>
sitting in a room different from the one you're in now. I'm recording the sound of my speaking voice and I'm going to talk about different social issues that have concerned me recently, such as representation of marginalized communities in multicultural societies and white institutional space, racialized emotional labor, gender binaries, and ethnocide within the music ecosystem and in musical language. My name is Rojin Sharafi. I'm a sound artist and composer of acoustic, electroacoustic, and electronic music. My music crosses borders of different genres and keenly takes from many musical buckets, such as noise, folk, ambient, metal, and contemporary music. For this podcast, I ask some artists from my community to record their stories, thoughts, and experiences related to the topics of this podcast. The first monologue that I'm going to play is from Mohan Mirarab. Mohan Mirarab is an Iranian-Austrian guitarist, composer, and music producer based in Vienna and Berlin. He has spent years learning about Persian traditional music as well as the indigenous sounds and cultures of the country, such as Arabic, African, Turkish, and Kurdish, 
been refining his skills in jazz, western classic and popular music. Notably using Fredo's guitar, he specializes in blending microtonal systems with jazz and improvised music. I got to know Mahan almost six or seven years ago in Vienna. I remember I went to one of his concerts at Kultur am Neruda and I was amazed by his unique musical language and by his virtuosity in playing the guitar. Here is his monologue. Hi folks, I'm Mahan Mirarab and I want to tell you a short personal story here. At the age of 15, I started my career as a professional musician in Tehran. And until now, after 22 years, I'm still a professional musician. When I say professional, it doesn't mean that I'm a good musician. It just means that music is my only source of income. So I have to deal with the industry and business as well as taking care of my art and music. From outside, sometimes it looks weird and sometimes if someone's dream is to be a musician, it can look amazing. When I started my career, I was living in Tehran and I was very excited. My dream somehow came true. First, I started playing guitar in some pop and rock bands and we used to tour in Iran. It took me about six years since I finally understood that something was wrong there. As a young boy, I saw the discrimination and racism and I found out the massive amount of hierarchy and injustice around me. For example, I saw that at the dinner time, there were different foods served. The singer and his manager had the best food. We, musicians, had sandwiches. <laughs> and the workers and helpers of the band just watched us. So we've never shared food with them on our dinner table. And of course the payments were different. Sexist words were everywhere in the band. We never had a single woman in those bands. The only woman which I saw in our tours were the sex workers which were booked for the singer of the band. I'm still regretting how ignorant I was and why I didn't react against my working environment at that time. I finally took the decision to stop playing with all those bands after six years and I started to focus on my art. With some of my friends, we started to make a community in Tehran. We invited an amazing teacher from Armenia to teach us music. That was one of the best periods of my life. All our focus was just to learn new things and try out different ways of playing music. We started to produce music and playing concerts. The community got bigger and people started knowing us. Now we were the cool artists in the small music scene in Tehran. <laughs> we used to make creative music and we tried out our crazy ideas in the community. After a while, some of the musicians from those old pop and rock bands joined the community and I was very happy about that. But unfortunately, some of those newcomers brought that hierarchic, sexist, racist and discriminating system with themselves. Some of them had good contact with Iranian government, so they started to get the whole power and those people start to eliminate the musicians who are not accepting that system. Me and some of my friends who started the community, 
wearing that list, so I was totally upset, and I decided to leave Iran and start a new life in Europe. Because I had a jazz band in Austrian Culture Forum in Tehran, and I had their support, Austria was my first choice. I left Iran when I was 25 and I arrived in Vienna. In Vienna I faced discrimination against myself for the first time and I found out how privileged I was when I was living in Tehran. In Austria I also saw that the women are more active in the music scene which made me realize how patriarchal is the system in Iran. Here in Europe I also hear about world music for the first time. I still can't find a definition for that genre. I should actually say that in general I don't like to choose a music to listen because of its genre. I know that it makes it easier to sell if you make a general name or brand for your product. But nowadays you see that there are ratings for each genre. And this influences the society to buy the specific products which major labels want. So, for example, you have European classical music, which is known as classical music all around the world, and it's being teached in the universities and conservatories. You have pop music with different branches, which are mostly American products. It includes hip hop, R&B, soul, etc. If you see the genres on the top of the list are all European and American products and at the bottom of the hierarchy we have a strange genre which calls world music which is founded by Robert E. Brown, an American ethnomusicologist and it involves the whole cultures which are not European and American. That means the classical Indian music, the music of aboriginals, and music from the whole continent of Africa and thousands of other cultures outside America and Europe are all world music. When I arrived in Vienna, I wanted to find people who are open to play creative music and I really wanted to be involved in the Viennese music community. When I say Austrian music community, it means the people who are playing music professionally in Vienna, no matter where they originally come from or which cultural backgrounds they have. Even though my specialty was in jazz and improvised music, somehow it seemed impossible to be a part of that scene. It seemed that the jazz and improvised scene was reserved for my white European colleagues. My work was ignored for many years by many of my colleagues who were working in the creative scene and the ones with powerful position in the scene I was placed in the box of world music where none of those musicians really took seriously I realized that in the world music scene it was not really necessary to show virtuosity and depth because your exotified presence and probably a story of your victimhood could sell tickets but sometimes I had no choice since music making is my only source of income. Here, nationality makes you different from the others and you have to deal with it. Anyway, the easiest way to survive and earn money here was to play world music. So I had to assimilate myself and play the music which I am more welcome there. The only question is that why most of the time I had to play the music which is connected to my nationality. 
Why people make fun of me when I consider myself as a contemporary musician? Why people don't accept me as a Viennese musician after working here since so many years and paying taxes even more than my European colleagues? Why I should play oud in most of the projects although my main instrument is the guitar and I'm good at it? So it took me about 8 years here to be accepted as a musician who can be creative and has crazy ideas in music. I think it's all because of the people who found out that something is wrong in this system. And they started fighting and resisting for having a diverse community. It still needs a lot of time to reach our point, but Vienna has changed a lot in these 12 years and it gives me hope. We need to educate ourselves, reflect and act, so we'll change this system in the near future.
The next monologue is by Golnar Shahyar. I had the pleasure of playing music with her. Golnar Shahyar is an Iranian-Canadian vocalist, band leader, performer, composer, and multi-instrumentalist based in Vienna and Berlin. She is considered to be one of the most innovative and creative performers and songwriters of her generation, whose work is redefining the mainstream sonic identities and perceptions of modern and contemporary musical storytelling in Europe and in Iran. Her incredible grace and longing, combined with the expressive frenzy of her singing and her playful approach to improvisation, are Shahyar's unique music signatures. Golnar is also a music activist whose approach and attempts inspired me a lot in the last years. I learned a lot from her and I find her voice and music fascinating. For this podcast, she talked about the term world music. We all have heard the expression, music is the universal language. As much as this sounds romantic and hopeful, in my opinion, it is nothing but an ideological slogan. Because the economy and politics, as well as the social values around music, works entirely differently. The culture's sonic identity, or music, has always been used as a tool to differentiate between socially, culturally, economically, and politically different groups. The more division exists or is desired by the political and social construct, the more emphasis will be on the differences between different musical expressions. Music is an asset to the ones who own it. Each culture owns its music and cultural asset and can create economic value around their identity performed through their culture or music. This might explain the tendency of certain social groups to monopolize and control music. Favoring one or a few of these social identities by the dominant culture discredits the rest and their assets and chances for future prosperity. Classical European music has secured a high value for its musical asset for a couple of hundred years. Sonification of God through canons such as Beethoven, Bach, Mozart, and so on has created a religious-like image of Western classical music. A sonic identity that is unquestionably the most divine, noble, and indeed the only right way to show the value, depth, and complexity of life. This has been a very successful branding model, imported to other countries outside of Europe. What should the rest of the cultures do under this sonic domination? Where should they stand? And how should they make sure they survive? Well, assimilation is one way to deal with this. But the music industry has created a space for others whose culture has been placed chronically in an inferior position in relation to the white European ones. The term world music or the market of world music was supposed to be that place where these cultures could finally access the market. But whose market is this? And who are the buyers? The Western music identity has monopolized 
the mainstream understandings of music theory, music complexity, depth, and diversity. Under this model, craftsmanship, precision, and innovation belongs to the West, while other music cultures are reduced to a singular, exotified, and unchangeable tradition of other, or as the market refers to it, world music. The world music market ignores and misrepresents the works of the real innovators and musical specialists of the other cultures because its primary goal is to sell. Not based on innovation and virtuosity, but based on the colonial stereotypes built around those cultures. Higher European music education institutions also consider no place for the so-called other or the exotic cultures. Therefore, it is practically impossible for the representatives of those cultures to claim their right to form their own narration about their work and community and therefore to empower themselves. This ensures the same hierarchic cultural and economic construct is reproduced to the next generation. I therefore see the existence of the world music market as more of damage than benefit, since it is practically incapable of demonstrating and differentiating the musical diversity, depth, and complexity of more than 90% of the world. Even though we claim to live in a democratic system here in Europe, we have failed to recognize the systematic inequality, discrimination, and cultural tyranny that exists and practiced in our music and culture every day. The reproduction of the same colonial hierarchies and social values in our music education system and industry, including media, has continued for decades and remained unchallenged even until today. Maintaining this cultural practice model not only does not bring us closer together as a community in Europe, but also deepens our misunderstandings, mistrust, and disappointments from one another, resulting in more social and political polarization. As long as we fail to see the whole picture and we refuse to take real actions, our utopian dreams will be far out of reach. The next monologue is by Ghazal. Ghazal Majidi is an interdisciplinary filmmaker and visual artist based in Tehran, Iran. She is active in the film and new media industry as writer, director, and animator. Her work exploits the intersections of film, animation, and photography while focusing on identity and its contributing concepts such as memory, loss, and attachment, as well as humans' interactions with their environment. I know Ghazal from middle school, and we became best friends in high school. When we were 17, I left Tehran for Vienna to follow my intuition to study music. Her passion was cinema, and as we were close friends, we spent lots of time together watching movies. I remember our favorite movies back then were Dead Man by Jarmusch and Mr. Nobody by Jacques Van Dormais. 
At university, she studied architecture and made some short movies while she was studying. Recently, we made an experimental short together, which was an homage to the first very short movie we made together when we were 16. So I asked her to contribute to this podcast and she sent me this recording. As I heard her monologue, I was a bit surprised because I thought I knew her very well, but it turns out she can still surprise me. Hi everyone, my name is Razal Majidi and I am a visual artist slash filmmaker based in Tehran. So today I wanted to talk to you about a very annoying and less talked about form of racism, which I will refer to as artistic racism here. I have always encountered this glorified culture of a socially acceptable story that focuses on the trending tragedies or issues of a very specific class, social class, economical class of a society. And by society, I mean mostly third world countries as they are portrayed in mainstream media or on the news and etc. So you kind of have that as a preset when you're growing up and are exposed to all these materials that are telling you similar stories really and it kind of becomes a mission or a duty as a Middle Eastern artist to be a mirror uh, for this fragile groups of the society. As if you're doing something noble with your art, right? So this whole concept is in my opinion widely respected in a society like Iran, especially by the general audience which I find completely in contrast with the concept of art itself, but it is actually very interesting in terms of what it can um, reveal. This obviously isn't the case in all, but in some, uh, it's more of a tendency that sticks out when you pay attention. This, I think, though, has been uh, the case in the more recent years. Uh, like recently, I see more of this formulated pattern that apparently comes with a reward uh, in terms of publicity and national and especially international recognition. Uh, if I could be more specific with examples of international recognition in cinema, uh, and I use that because I'm a little bit more comfortable with it, uh, in the recent like five, ten years, uh, the, the, you see the works that have received most attention as the ones that have drama being more initiated by that outer geographical or sexual or political obstacle that is a harsh, unforgiving, unjust, um, divided environment in a pretty stamped media proven way or generally films that deal with social issues in a pretty victimizing manner. Now, of course, a part of this is due to immense censorship and how certain characters and genres of people are always silenced and oppressed and kind of pushed under the rug here. Uh, but even so, it doesn't strike me as, um, like it's, it seems as if there is still much more diversity to be shown even in that very contained white area, especially in terms of genre. Uh, it's not a new but a rarely talked about form of racism in my opinion that uh, is being highly enforced, uh, maybe subconsciously, maybe strategically, by many international festivals or platforms that uh, are doing this as a way of completing their 
supposedly diverse showcase. It has kind of become a feature, uh, an elephant in the room, if you will, you know, to have certain issues or sensitive stereotypical subjects from certain groups in the mix when you're organizing these kinds of events. Uh, like, I, I get it, like how a Western, um, like a European, for instance, audience would see a film about a refugee single mother living in poverty or um, a working class woman having to deal with dirty looks, you know, in the streets or something comes out as diverse, you know. Um, they can affiliate it with that nation or that part of the world. Uh, it has been outrageously simplified as, um, for example, as walking into a Lebanese restaurant and expecting to eat, eat Lebanese food, you know, or something like that. And they don't really question it um, because they are at the receiving end of this product and uh, not aware of, of the process. Um, but I have always been um, kind of exhausted by this conundrum but I have always been dealing with this exhausting conundrum that why didn't this or that, you know, fantasy or sci-fi or thriller or whatever film that wasn't conformed by those exotic Middle Eastern labels gotten the recognition that it deserved. I feel like there are always some really fascinating artists being dumped to make more room for that foul idea of diversity. There is really just a weird, you know, kind of hierarchy. Um, this probably also comes from my perception of nationality and how I believe it to be overrated and dangerous even in artistic uh, discourses. Some people, however, associated with some kind of activism. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just not okay to marginalize art. Uh, and in this case, it's very tricky um, you know, uh, and may seem sensitive to talk about it because that certain thing that is being staged and favored is either the victim or the minority. So people may think, well, it's nice that they are being given a voice, you know, uh, and it could be nice if it wasn't being used as a leverage to be heard. You know, it's kind of, it's a, it's a delicate uh, kind of racism very easy to oversee and the sad thing is that it is being now reproduced in some cases in the local scene and um, even used as a cheat sheet or a shortcut for some to climb that ladder. Uh, now don't get me wrong, there are a lot of productions that have incredibly delicate viewpoints um, even on those very same issues, but statistically I have encountered um, works that don't have anything going on for them except a big bold gesture out there and they get the ticket, right? Uh, and I'm not necessarily talking about the household names but even more in the younger emerging generation um, in which I'm also standing right now, I guess. You see a lot of these tendencies or perhaps promotional strategies that kind of freak me out. Now I will discuss something that um, how it has affected my artistic practice and to some extent driven me towards more experimental approaches. A couple days ago I was talking to a friend of mine uh, and the conversation steered into this direction of what happened that I decided to change course a little bit and experiment with 
new mediums and much more experimental ways of storytelling. I was thinking, was this a, a defense mechanism to a narrative structure that can be evaluated um, or used at, as a tool, as a leverage? Like I have written some fantasy or psychological thriller kinds of scripts and I have always had issues with funding and eventually ended up funding them myself to the point that I couldn't anymore. I did, however, get offered most of the budget I needed for a script that I wrote um, two years ago uh, that did fit that very category. Like it was a social drama talking about a tragedy, it had women oppressed by religion and how it affects the family and censorship and so on. And so people would say, yeah, this has the potential to make it big at international festivals because they like that. So we can fund that. Uh, and I got scared as hell. I thought, is this the rabbit hole? Like, is this now good for making some festivals showcase look diverse or exotic? And even if it is good art, it felt wrong. Like I was indulging something that I shouldn't because I don't support the stream. So I'm still figuring it out, but I really hope that people start being more sensitive to these things, especially now because um, in a lot of similar issues people are speaking up. So maybe now would be the best time. Contribution is from Dorsa Jawaherian. She is a designer from Tehran and living in Cologne. She thinks and works at the intersections of design, community building, and inclusion. She believes in plural futures. Well, for this podcast, she wrote a poem and she read it together with a friend. When I asked her about the concept, she wrote to me. The poem is tangled with friendship and sisterhood. 
It is influenced by my endless conversations with my friend Colin when we'd go for long walks. In our very fluid dialogues, we always try to embrace our vulnerability and then to find our comfort. The experience is liberating. I write this poem to be read as a duet with Colin. I choose the words and Shandai exist in the betweenness of each line. We will read this together. Odia Diversity A poem by a designer Oh dear diversity, it's been a while that I've wanted to write to you. It's been a while that I've had an open note on my desktop to begin a letter addressing you. But wait, I'd rather put my thoughts in the form of a poem. However, I believe my poem won't praise you necessarily. This is a poem of complaint. Part of my poem is a memoir of arrival. With my big purple suitcase, I immigrated three years ago. I was immersed in my internal joy, hungry to learn and humble to ask. I was becoming a student again. Part of my poem is an illustration of exhaustion, of being fatigued from the institution, of being scratched by the ugly game of power. My joy didn't last long. I learned there has always been a constellation of joy killers. Oh dear diversity, you are tempting. Your nature promises joy and liberation, but who owns you? I have already begun with my questions, if you don't mind me asking. Because I believe I have a say. I brought you something more when I started sinking bodily in spaces. Spaces of learning, spaces of creating, spaces of reimagining. Sadly, those institutional spaces rarely embrace the extension of my body. They've even seized my color and my body for their good, for them to be diverse, but not for me to be empowered by diversity and to own my joy. Oh dear diversity, I'm not very original in this poem. It's inherited from many intersectional feminists to understand dramas and to embrace them. Among these good ancestors, I want to name Sarah Ahmed, who believes in the power of complaint, that it could dismantle whiteness as an institutional situation. Oh dear diversity, I want this poem of complaint to be heard and to be a shelter for someone to heal as it has been to me, to resist and to rise. Dímelo, ay, que dame, quita, toma, chico, ay, quita, dame, dame, quita, toma, chico, ay, no, dime, quita, dime, quita, toma, chico, ay, quita, dame, 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 todo, toma, chico, ay, no, tómalo, tómalo, todo, tómalo, ay, chilla, chico, chica, toma, quita, dímelo, ay, que. Chico, tómalo, chica, tómalo, chico, tómalo. Ay, no, chico.
chico, dame, quita, chica, dame, quita, dámelo. Ay, chilla, dime, chico, dime, chica, dame, quita, toma, dame, quita, toma, dame, quita, dímelo. Ay, no, dímelo. Ay, quita, dame, quita, toma, chico. Ay, quita, dame, dame, quita, toma, chico. Ay, no, dime, quita, dime, quita, toma, chico. Ay, quita, dame, dame, dame todo, toma, chico. Ay, no, tómalo, tómalo todo, tómalo. Ay, chilla, chico, chica, toma, quita, dímelo. Ay, que chico, tómalo, chica, tómalo, chico, tómalo. Ay, no, chico, dame, quita, chica, dame, quita, dámelo. Ay, chilla, dime, chico, dime, chica, dame, quita, toma, dame, quita, toma, dame, quita, dímelo. Ay, no. Dame quita toma chico, ay quita dame dame quita toma chico, ay no. Dime quita dime quita toma chico, ay quita dame 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 todo toma chico, ay no. Tómalo tómalo todo tómalo muy chica chico chica toma quita dime lo muy que chico tómalo chica tómalo chico tómalo muy no. Chico dame quita chica dame quita dame lo muy chica dime lo muy que dame quita toma chico, ay quita dame dame quita toma chico, ay no. Dime quita dime quita toma chico, ay quita dame 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 todo toma chico, ay no. Tómalo todo tómalo muy chica chico chica toma quita dime lo muy que chico tómalo chica tómalo chica tómalo Dímelo, ay que, dame quita, toma chico, ay quita, dame, dame quita, toma chico, ay no, dime quita, dime quita, toma chico, ay quita, dame, dame, dame todo, toma chico, ay no, tómalo, tómalo todo, tómalo, ay chica, 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 toma quita, dímelo, chica, tómalo, chica,
I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. I'd be thrilled to hear your stories or opinions on the topics we talked about. I think in the world that we live in, music activism and activism in general is not a choice. It's our responsibility. On that note, I would like to end this podcast and to thank you all for listening. Cheers.